Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. My name is David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. have another episode and I have a good friend of mine, Evangelist Chris Stansel. Brother Stansel, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for awesome. having me. Great to have you on here. This is our first live podcast. Uh, we're actually sitting side by side, so uh, this is exciting and glad to have you. So um, a little introduction for Brother Stansel. Um, we are um, old friends. Um, how many years, Brother Stansel? Do we go uh, back? 1988, the summer. 1988. So here's the story. So I just got out of the Army. I'm rebellious, running from God. God called me to preach. I don't want to preach. I'm already enrolled at Iowa University. I've got... Um, my roommates, my apartment, my classes, everything set and done. And um, I went to the church that my parents were going to, and they had this special event. Some tour group from this uh, college was coming, and they were going to sing and preach. So I went. And the preacher for that day was Brother Chris Stansel. And he had a trio of girls with him and a piano player, and they sang and showed a film strip of uh, Dr. Jack Hiles calling, talking about we need voices in this world. We don't need talent. Uh, we don't need pretty boys. We need voices to take the truth of our fathers and take it to our generation to say this is what they said. And I sat through that film strip and sat through those girls singing and just cried my eyes out. And the preaching, knowing I'm supposed to be there, I'm supposed to be surrendering. I was used to a secular college and thought it was too late for that year, but after the service was over, Brother Stansel's wife came and said, have you ever considered going to Hiles Anderson College? And I said, yes, I have, but it's too late. It's already June. Oh, no, no, it's not too late here. And she gave me one of the college books. Take it home, look at it, pray about it, throw out the application and see if you're accepted. And so I took it home, opened it up to the first page and it said, you may not want to go to Hiles Anderson because of, and had all these rules. I said, you're right. I don't want to go to a place like that. Took the book, threw it up on the top of my closet. 
but God didn't let me go. And a couple weeks later, through some other events, I finally surrendered to preach. So, uh, but the Stansel and I literally go back 30, it'll be 33 years this summer, and I've uh, been a friend in college, and now in evangelism, been a friend, and preaches at our church every year, and uh, great with singing and music, and boy, we just love and appreciate him. So, a little bit about your past. Uh, when were you saved, and your call to service? Uh, tell us about that. Sure. Thank you, Brother Baker. I appreciate it. I, uh, Grew up in a Christian home, and um, I didn't get saved till I was seven years old, just turned seven, and I was in Pensacola, Florida. My dad was stationed there at the Naval Air Station, and uh, he was actually out of town, uh, out of the country, on a, a tour in Vietnam on the USS Lexington. And on Tuesday night, the pastor preached and talked about a seven-year-old little boy that wasn't saved. He kept inviting the little boy to come to church or come to Christ. And the little boy would say every week as they walked by a fishing pier, not this week, preacher, maybe next week. And then one day the pastor didn't see him on his walk and didn't think much of it till the next morning when he read his obituary in the newspaper and he had fallen off of that bridge and he couldn't swim. And that's what the Lord used to touch my heart because I also could not swim. And it's something that simple, but I, uh, rushed down the aisle. I remember it. I remember the green walls, the pews, the pastor standing down there. And I said, I have to go down there. And uh, his wife took me to a little Sunday school baptismal dressing room off to the side. And she won me to Christ and gave me the gospel and uh, Amen. never gotten over it, never regretted it. Thrilled it happened. It's been a long time. October 7th, 1969. Wow. That is great. So then when did you feel a call of God to uh, serve the Lord or full-time ministry? What was that? Well, we moved a little bit, and then when we lived in uh, Morristown, Pennsylvania, my dad did everything in the Navy, submarines, destroyers, recruiting duty. And uh, while he was doing that uh, in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, we had a revival at our church, Faith Baptist Church. Pastor Paul Fadena uh, was the first place we really had uh, any fundamentalism. Uh, Jack Hiles came there to Ben Salem Baptist Church. First time I heard him preach and John R. Rice. And another evangelist uh, team, Hal Webb and Theron Babcock. Uh, they've long since gone, but they preached. And on uh, June 5th, 1976, God called me to preach. I thought he was. And I went back to the house, mom and dad, I think they had a couple over from church. And I just went into my mom and dad's bedroom, kneeled down beside the bed and said, Lord, I just need to know for sure, are you calling me to preach? And and he said yes, and I never changed it since. I was sure awesome. he told me, and I was thrilled about it. Beautiful. Uh, so, full-time Christian service, What is uh, how has God used you? I know you went to Bible college, and after that, what have you done, and how has God used you? Oh, I've way? been very, very blessed. I, I uh, just went to Christian school. My parents kept me in Christian school and didn't have any years of sowing wild oats or anything. And then I went to Bible college and uh, started serving the Lord more there i'd already been soul winning and teenage soul winning and helping in junior church and things but then in bible college i was uh, involved in bible clubs and the bus ministry and other things and and then when i was getting ready to graduate the pastor there brother jack house asked me to work on staff so i was a, like assistant youth pastor and taught in the bible college and did a lot of stuff would go out two out of four three out of four weekends and then finally god called me after a dozen years to be full-time missionary evangelist, I had taken several missionary trips while I was still there mm. and uh, to Australia and uh, Russia, the Philippines. And then God called me to do it full-time. So I was doing that and still lived there. And then God called me down to Tennessee after I preached a missions conference there in Springfield, Tennessee. So at this point, I've been to a few thousand different churches and 60 different countries. Wow. 
couple hundred missionaries overseas in their homes and preached a lot of places and just the Lord's blessed very mightily and I'm very thankful. Well, that's a that's a big deal. <clears throat> You've also done a little bit with music um, there. So how many CD projects have you made personally that you sang on? How many have you helped other people with? Um, I know that's a big deal and a big part of your life that God, God gave you also. Yes, I actually got some advice. I loved to sing in church and did when I was growing up and and uh, when I was in college, just just about uh, to graduate, and had a little advice to make, a, at that time, a cassette tape. And so I've made about 40 that I was a part of, or singing with groups or singing solos, and helped about 100 other projects. And uh, I really believe in having good music, and it's a, it's a big deal in a church service. You have good music, and I'm saying that as listening, but also as a visiting speaker, when I'm somewhere and there's some good music, um, it's a lot better to get up and preach uh, when you don't have to fight against whatever the special was and try to get the crowd back or do whatever. So anyway, yeah, the Lord's allowed me to train a few hundred music groups and lead a bunch of people, classes, how to lead singing, and actually several countries around the world have some music seminars and teach people, and so that's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. Well, this is called the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. So we're going to talk about some of those issues and things. So uh, I assume you are an independent fundamental Baptist. Is that correct? Correct. All right. So why? Uh, you could do anything, be anything, join any group, be a part of it. Why are you an independent fundamental Baptist preacher? Well, when I was very young, I was in some Southern Baptist churches, but like my uncle and where I got saved, they were strong. King James, love the Lord, soul winning, standards. But then I found out when I was a teenager, that was only certain areas where I was. And uh, But then when I was like in eighth grade, I went to a conference and heard Jack Howes and John R. Rice speak. And my whole family, we were just like, wow, yeah, that's us. And that's, what, that's what we like. And uh, so then through the rest of high school after that, I went to an independent Baptist church and learned more about that in Charleston, South Carolina. And went from there to Bible college. And... Uh, just there was nothing else for me to do independent baptist i mean they were who i was they were my people Amen. so that's what i was and then i've stayed strong with that and teaching baptist distinctives and so forth through the years and why we are baptist and that's what i am i'm sticking with it awesome super so uh, of those things, if you look at the movements and church groups, and as we know, Independent Baptist is not a denomination, but many of the things we believe are the same. Um, what, what do you think the good things are from being an Independent Fundamental Baptist? The things that we are good at, that we're doing well, that are right, and of course, why you are that? I've been told there's 30,000 Independent Baptist churches in America, and I've been a uh, to enough of the states, 49, everywhere but Hawaii, and I've seen a lot of different churches. And one thing about it being independent Baptist church is they're all different. <laughs> they really are. There's some small groups and camps and, you know, a dozen here, 20, 30 here, 40, 50 maybe. Uh, but most of it is people that are very unique and individual. But there's common chords of standards, King James Bible, solid music, soul winning, missions, getting the gospel out, caring about people, compassion, restoration, these kind of things. And, and I believe that that sets apart the group of the independent Baptists that I'm a part of and, and where I preach 99.9% .9 of the time. People that believe that, they may have some different preferences, but those things are all strong. And, that, and I just try to um, 
strengthen those cords, I guess a good way to say it, when I go to churches as an evangelist and help them continue in those things that they've learned. Well, you just, off the top of your head, nailed the list of exactly that. And uh, so many churches don't have that. I mean, the care for people, helping people that most people don't care about, you know, helping in a nursing right. home or a bus ministry and bringing poor boys and girls to Sunday school, teaching about Jesus. How many people care about that? Right. Um, the witnessing, the soul winning. We were out uh, Saturday soul winning, and the lady almost didn't want to talk to us because she thought we were Jehovah's Witness because no real Christian goes out door to door talking to people about Christ. And she was so excited that we were just a Christian. And it's amazing the things that, that aren't done in that group anymore. And you mentioned music, restoration, um, the core principles of the Word of God to be able to line up with that. As we know, and we say, the Bible is our authority in all matters of right. faith and practice. Exactly. And so it's that book. That's what we are. So um, so what do you see? I know you travel a lot and see things. What are some things that are not good independent Baptist over all general or things that people need to work on and help and, and strengthen uh, or things that you see things slipping in? Right. I would say one of the main things is churches that whether they say it or admit it, they live practical Calvinism. They do not genuinely go after the lost, whether it's just going to the doors and hanging a door hanger on there with the gospel tract or John and Romans, much less actual visiting or what the old phrase confrontational soul winning, right. which just means do it like Jesus did, <laughs> talk to people. And uh, I see that slipping, whereas the majority of independent Baptist churches that I've seen in the last few years do not even have any kind of a soul winning program. My son is a pastor in Western North Carolina, and he was just talking to me this week about a church that's independent, King James, and all this. And he said, but I sent a missionary there to go visit, and he said they absolutely have no soul winning of any kind, and they support no missionaries going abroad, nothing. Wow. And it's pretty tough, but somebody, when they're acting like they're still a church, but they're not doing what the church was told to do, go out in all the world and preach the gospel, and baptize and train, discipling them, so I see that as an issue that there's more and more. When I was a teenager, any church I went to that said they were independent Baptists, they had soul winning. Yeah. At least Saturday or Thursday or Tuesday, at least one or the other, if not both. And now the majority is not. Also, skipping services. My son was going to Bible college and dri driving across the country a few years ago. And... Uh, he asked me about, you know, I had a couple guys in the car, Dad, where can we stop for Sunday night? I told him, they called, Dad, I can't get a hold of anybody, and then, Dad, I got a hold of them, but they said something, they don't have Sunday night service, and I was shocked. I knew the guys. I preached there. I called them up. I got an assistant I never heard of. I said, what? Told him what happened. He said, yeah, we have service. We just split up in houses. And I said, well, how does somebody know what house to go to when they come there for Sunday night? I got Bible college. He said, well, we just, uh, do you have a sign on the door? What do you do? He said, no, it's just for our people. What do you mean our people? And then that's the us for no more mentality of people that don't want to reach somebody. So that's just crazy. I mean, it's it, this is something I preach a lot. It's the Lord's day, not the Lord's morning. Right. I believe strongly in the evening services. I believe the whole day is the Lord's day. And I believe especially the stuff that's gone on with COVID stuff recently, people are just happy to sit at church and they'll even say, I realized I don't need to go to church anymore. Mm -hmm. I can have church on my couch. It's not true. It's not biblical. It's not historical. Gathering together to hear the preaching of the word of God, that is something else that I've seen slip so much. Yeah. 
You mentioned, and we're going to have a whole episode on Calvinism that will be coming up. The Calvinism is from John Calvin that says basically that some are predestined for heaven, some are predestined to hell. There you have irresistible grace that comes upon you, and you're going to get saved. And 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 so, like I said, practical Calvinism, where okay, I don't need to do anything. If they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved, and they may not believe that, but their life, by their lifestyle, that's what they're saying. Right. When God called it the Great Commission. Um, it's the command that is given to us above all uh, in Sunday school this morning where the Samson taught about fruit and about bearing fruit and how important that is. And it's just such a big deal uh, to be able to bear fruit. And, well, I just want to glorify God. Okay, like you said this morning, according to the Bible, how do we glorify God? By bearing what? Much fruit. <laughs> Much fruit. Mm-hmm. And so um, people that say this glorify God, one of the things that bothered me so much is uh, people say, all you need to do is just lift up Jesus, just lift up Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. All you have to do is just lift up Jesus. And and they're saying that by just praise music and just lifting up Jesus and talking about Jesus. But they've never read the next verse, it says, when he said... Um, uh, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into me. Next verse says, this he said, signifying what death he would die. Mm-hmm. What's going to draw people to Jesus is telling them that he died for you, paid your sins for you, right. death, burial, and resurrection. I don't know how many people I've witnessed to and I know in the beginning, they're not interested and they don't really want to talk to me, but they don't know how to say no. Right. And the persuasiveness of, hey, can I show you? Okay. But boy, once you get to the cross, once you get to Jesus, once you get to, they put a crown of thorns in his head. They pluck the beard out of his face. They put nails in his hands and his feet. Once you get into that, it's amazing how many people were not interested are now interested because mm-hmm. why? If I be lifted up from the earth, okay, the cross, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death. And so there's so many more people that just talk it and praise it, but yet they're not doing the things that God said you're supposed to do in bearing fruit, much fruit to glorify God and that witnessing of people. And I know it's easy to do. And I think one of the big purposes of this podcast, we talked about how to end it. We don't really have a great tagline yet, but, but Brother Howell's book on enemies of soul winning. So many things that we see people are doing in churches and the direction and what we want to fight against is literally those enemies of soul winning. Right. Uh, because in this balance and world that we're in, if it's a football game, there's a score and the points on the board. A basketball game, the points on the board. In Christianity or in Christianity or all of life, what is the most important stat? who is saved and going to heaven and who is lost and going to hell. That's all that matters. It's the points on the board. Mm -hmm. And and why in the world aren't churches, what happened? Why why have we lost that, do you think? What what do you see out there? Why is there no passion for that in so many churches where they're living a practical Calvinist life, you say? I think there's a couple things. When the Bible talks about there's no difference between the holy and the profane, I think the worldliness has crept in mm. or poured in so much that a church has become more like a country club. Yeah. Uh, it's all baseball, fun and games. It's not the preaching, the preaching on God's judgment, the preaching on God's salvation, the preaching on God's restoration and so forth. So with the Laodicean type age and what's written in the Bible, when everybody's lukewarm and everybody is lacking nothing, uh, there, there's no house that I go to, even around the world. Even I just was in Guatemala a few weeks ago. Everybody had a cell phone. I mean, the whole world. Mm-hmm. So you got cell phone, instant access to everything. So I believe part of it is there's not a difference. Uh, I preached a revival mm-hmm. recently, and uh, a guy came forward, and he was coming forward to get saved. It was in Virginia. 
And there was another guy up there, and I saw him. I was standing where I could see him. He caught his eye, and he said, oh, like, he knew him. And he's like, I saw him say, I, like, I walked down there, oh, they invited you to come too? What, what do you mean? He worked with the guy. He said, oh, no, this is my church. And I saw this. Yeah. You go to church? <laughs> wow. And uh, that was horrible. I mean, I didn't publicly say anything, but I saw all of it, and I saw this guy in shock, and then he said one more thing. How come you never told me about this? And see, that's that's the kind of stuff we're going to be judged yeah. for, and uh, we have the gospel. I mean, we have the antidote. We have the cure for cancer, but we don't use it, and of course, a giant factor behind that, Lee Robertson was so famous for at Highland Park Baptist Church, have compassion. I mean, it was almost in every sermon. Have compassion. God bless you. We need compassion three times a week. I mean, but he lived that. Yeah. And they knocked on every door in Chattanooga back in the day, like three or four times. I mean, they were going after souls because they had compassion. Yeah. So I think it's a huge thing. Many Christians don't have true compassion. They look at somebody. They don't think about if they're going to hell or not. And if that thought crosses their mind, they don't really care. Right. And, and even if they're going through things and they might be technically a Christian and, and they're not uh, getting their needs met, they have other problems going on in their life because they don't have compassion. And I, I don't know how to fix that. I, I preach on it and go to places, but you can't make somebody care. Mm. I've tried, just like you can't make somebody love God, serve God, right. whatever. But we, we bring the scripture out and then ask the Holy Spirit to work on people's hearts. That's what I've seen. That's good. I You brought up Lee Robertson. I couldn't help think of his other, I know he has many, but his other most famous quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. Mm -hmm. How much of it is the passion of the pastor or the lack of compassion and passion from him? Um, do you see... Do you see them not even yes. seeming to care about it at all? And how do you lead people to do that if if he's not if he doesn't have that himself? I'll I'll tell you folks this. I mentioned in his church this morning that a, a pastor recently told me after I preached on some giving out the gospel. He said, "Brother Stansel, I want you to know I'm not called to be a soul winner." Those are his exact words. Mm. I'm not called to be a soul winner. Well, that's not true. Yeah. We're all commanded to be soul winners to give out the gospel. Not everybody does you know the measure that god gives you you do what you're able some people can stand up on a platform and be able capable capable so forth but we're all commanded to be soul owners right. give the gospel do what you can so yes the leadership you can just guess after that man i'm pretty sure it was jacksonville florida you can guess if other people in his church go right. soul winning right they don't well the pastor doesn't why should we and some people, it's just laziness. Some people, they don't want the rejection of somebody saying, no, thank you. But if you just got the Bible, the Bible is you go, you give the gospel, one sows, you know, one plants, one waters, God gives the increase, where right. you don't take it personally. Like if somebody doesn't take Christ, well, that's their business and that's the truth. I mean, if they really don't accept him, they really don't accept him and you cannot make them right. genuinely do it. The leadership is extremely important. Yeah. I was saved in a Southern Baptist church, eight years old, almost nine, and I thought that if you wanted to get saved, you went to church, and that was a preacher's job, and you mm -hmm. walk the aisle, and he would show you how to go to heaven. That's why he's there, and I'm in the Army now. I found an independent Baptist church by accident. I'm looking for a nice girl today. Where do you find a nice girl? At church. So uh, in the meantime, I got the devil preached out of me, but there's an evangelist that came to preach. Very simple message. This was 30, 34 years ago. He said, how many people know that you're saved and on your way to heaven? 
Yeah, great. I knew I put my hand up. How many people know of people out there that are not saved who need to be saved? Oh, yeah, I know a lot of them. He said, that's our job. We're supposed to show them. That's good. We're supposed to tell them. My jaw dropped. I had been in church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, my whole life growing up. Dad was a deacon. Mom's a Sunday school teacher. Saved as a kid. Got way far away from God as a teenager. But I never heard that. I thought... If you want to get saved, you go to the church, and the preacher tells you that's his job. Right. And then you find out what the Bible says, as every man hath received the gift, let him then answer the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Right. If God saved us by his grace, I need to be a good steward and share that with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so that Sunday morning, I walked the aisle and made a decision that the rest of my life, I'm going to do my best to show people how to go to heaven. Amen. I was still backslidden. I hate to say this, but I was still in the bars. I was still cussing. I was still in the world. I was still a mess, but I knew I was supposed to do that. And God used that commitment to witness to get me out of the bars, Amen. to get me not cussing, to get me in church every Sunday, to get me reading my Bible and get me praying um, because... Here's somebody that wasn't saved. I was so burdened for them after witnessing. Yeah, I would pray good. for them all week. Here's somebody that said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i come to church sometime. Why well, didn't come to church every week? What happens if he shows up and I'm not there? So he got me in church. And then I was like, wait, I go to the clubs on Friday and Saturday night. We go sewing at church on Thursday. What happens if I see somebody on Friday that I saw right. sewing on Thursday? Like, okay, I, so it got me out of the clubs. And then somebody asked a question I didn't know the answer to. So I had to get in the Bible to find the answer. I made one decision to start winning souls, and it literally changed my life. Yes. And so um, none of us are perfect. We don't always do it. I'm sure every time we're supposed to, but boy, from that day till then, to be consumed and to realize that these people are lost, and it is my job to be able to share that with them. It's amazing how many people have lost that. It's like what you said earlier, the lukewarm, and then in, in Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus, where they left their first love, right. and Jesus said to repent and do the first works which, what is that? What's the first works? You know, right. you left your first love, that passion. The number one thing that Jesus wants is for people that he died for to be restored to him. And it's our job to share that with right. him. And boy, if we love Jesus, we're going to help him find the people that need to be saved and get them to Jesus and to do those first works. And you're right. It, it does the pastor not having that. Um, so on a whole, and I don't know the answer to this, I don't travel like you do, do you see more churches on fire, growing, witnessing, building, reaching, helping people, or do you see more churches that are almost giving up, backing away, um, they're just playing church or going through the motions? Um, what, do you, what do you see as a direction? That's a very big question, and I do see something, and I am careful to say it, but when the Bible talks about us, you know, doing more for the Lord and then there's verses about so much the more as you see the day approaching for mm -hmm. us to do more and also that men shall wax worse and worse yeah. and the world is definitely waxing worse and worse so I see a couple of things churches that had a, a heyday and churches that were so winning are backing off uh, in the 1970s when I was in high school 24 of the largest 25 churches in America were independent Baptists wow and that's obviously not anywhere near that now. It hasn't been for many years. But a, a lot of the churches that had something going and had a history, they've just dropped standards. Some of them have just been tired of fighting. Yeah. Uh, so, so they want to relax. I've seen some pastors that I call it coasting. You know, they're just they're, <laughs> they're in a glider. They turn the engine off and they're just, I mean, I know many of them. I'm not, as an evangelist, I have pastors ask me, I, I'm going to go somewhere and retire. 
I, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to run any ministries. I just want to preach to the people a couple times a week. I'm going to pay me a salary, and I just want to coast. And they're like 55 years old wow. and in good health. Uh, but then on the other side, not to leave that hanging, the other thing that is a great thing and a real blessing is new churches, hmm. fresh blood, uh, people that start. I used to think I had a pretty good grip on knowing a lot of the independent Baptist churches, but the last five years, I don't because there's so many more been started. So I can't keep up with them because I keep up with, you know, three, four hundred last ten years that I've been and so forth. But that is something that's very helpful because new churches being started, they got fresh blood, they get people saved, if they're the right kind of preacher, then they can train the people from scratch. Mm. Quick illustration, I've been to Nigeria to preach a couple times. I believe you've been there, right? Yes. Yes. I went there and preached what everybody told me was the first missions conference in the country, anybody could remember. And I came back after uh, Sunday and then a couple of nights and then the Wednesday, then we had soul winning on Thursday. More people than any other service. Mm -hmm. And I say to the missionary, I said, hey, brother, man, there's more people here. Aren't there more people here than even Sunday morning? Sunday? He said, yeah. He said, but please. I mean, he was like grabbing me. Like, <laughs> please don't say anything to them about it. Because they don't know that they cannot come. <laughs> they think that's part of the whole deal. That's what I taught them. And they believe if they're Christians that they need to be here to go wow. sowing. I said, no, I won't say a word, I promise. And, and it was so true. And there's been some other countries like that also yeah. where they don't know that so many people in America about 4 o'clock say, eh, am I getting a headache? Are we going to go tonight? I don't know. Let's see. They just go. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest examples, um, I don't mean to ramble on. Do you still have You're time? Right. We're okay. You're super. Um, in uh, the Czech Republic, hmm. um, this, this guy there that was um, the missionary didn't get saved till he was 40. And he was a rocker. Wow. I mean, rock music, crazy, showed me pictures. Didn't get saved till he was 40. He rushed on to get his Bible training and get to the field. God called him there. Wow. But it's a very tough place. It's the Czech Republic doesn't even have Catholics. Wow. I mean, part of the time, Czechoslovakia, that kind of stuff through history. But they went through like 100, 300 years ago. They killed all the Catholics. They have a bunch of big Catholic you know, churches. But they got mad because they were cutting down their country and all that and telling them they had to do this. And they're like, forget you. We don't have to do this. You know, We live here. It's our country. They threw them out of the belfries, the nuns and the priests. And then they couldn't tear down these buildings that took 100 years to build, You know, these giant edifices. So they built another building like 20 feet in front of it so just a carriage could get through so you couldn't see it. And so, I mean, if there was a church building there, it would be like turned into a nursery for flowers or a little bookstore. Nobody's in church. So this family, this missionary, visited this man, the couple, 50 times. 50 times. They either went to their house or had dinner, wow. giving them the gospel. I mean, they didn't even know Adam and Eve was. I mean, no Bible background, nothing. They give them the gospel. They get saved after several years. Mm. Well... Every one of them that got saved, it took this missionary seven years to get somebody to trust Christ. Seven years. Wow. He's going out six days a week, passing out gospel literature and talking to people. So when that guy got saved, the first convert, he was the guy that interpreted for me. Rough wow. language. So 50 times, but when they get saved, that's it. That's it. Everything they hear in the Bible, everything they read, everything you teach them, they do it. They love it. They tell others. They invite their family. They have no knowledge of the fact that we can be a nominal Christian. They make a, a, a conversion. It's a conversion. Right. You know, it's like if we convert some money from euros to dollars, 
they're changed. Yeah. They're not euros anymore. They're dollars. They're converted. Same word. They get converted. They are a Bible-believing Christian, and they don't quit. Well, As a matter of fact, I had one meeting where we had preaching, and then we distributed, took out flyers. We're going to give out Bibles tonight to people. They, nobody has a Bible. So we got these Bibles. If you come to the service, so we preach the gospel. Then we're handing out Bibles. A couple people asking me questions, and of course, he has to interpret for me. And then he says, oh... Uh, Pastor Stenzel, don't don't forget that in Romans eight fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. And then that happened like two times, and I was like, I'm out. So then someone asked me a question. I'd say, Yes, I'll have Brother Vasilia answer the question for you. And I just stood there and let them talk. I'm saying he learned the Bible. Wow. And all anybody that became a Christian, faithful to church, giving, tithing, soul winning, just difference. Oh, that's awesome. So with the churches, and I live in America, I've been on mission trips uh, um, before in the sea, but our country, my children, our grandchildren, you know, we want it to be able to be there for them. And so with the churches, it seemed like they are, they are changing, like you mentioned earlier, letting the, so much of the world in, picking and choosing what we say, believe. Um, what's causing the change in that? Um, how much music, I know big in music of that, churches that you look back okay how many churches have you been to now and then you find five or ten years later what happened name change doctrine change um music what 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 is it that is the appeal or why they're changing what's causing that any thoughts on that yes sadly i used to people ask me they're going to certain state or town you know good church there yes i tell them i don't do that anymore I say, I'll get back with you, and I look up the church to yeah. see if they're still going the right direction, and, and many times they're not, and it breaks my heart. Mm. But there's a couple things uh, in the Bible, like you mentioned earlier about Jesus coming. The Bible says plainly, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Right. So when you stop doing that, you're not following Jesus. You're not being a Christ bearer, a Christ follower, a Christian, which means like Christ, because that's what he was doing. Right. So that's one thing. If somebody stops going after souls and, and stops trying to help people down and out, unsaved people, then they start, I would call it drifting, like a boat drifts the tide, whether it's where I'm from and it's brackish waters and the river's flowing this way part of time and right. then the tide's coming in and you're just drifting. You don't know where you're going. A lot of churches are drifting because they're not anchored on something solid. They're not anchored. And, and what makes them not anchored is, in my opinion, trying to be like other people, trying to be like other churches. Well, the pastor, everybody likes him. Beware when all men yeah. speak well of you. I mean, that's not a great thing to say. Everybody right. likes me. I mean, I'm sorry. Everybody didn't like Jesus. Yeah. You can't get any more perfect than him. So I'm just saying sometimes it's just people wanting to be liked. And what they do is they also don't want to fight somebody's parents come in and say my 16 year old wants to sing this special in church and you or your assistant said they can't sing it i want to know why well sometimes they only do that so many times and they just say okay forget it whatever just just sing it just go ahead i don't want to fight anymore mm. and one of the main things about that is a lot of pastors do not learn bible principles on music or the yeah eight classes it would take to learn basic fundamentals of music so they can answer somebody's questions so somebody comes in talking like they know more than them and talking about the you know the beat or this this poems and iambic pentameter or whatever and what's wrong with it you know use a few words there's only seven notes right in music i mean it's much less an alphabet you can learn a little bit so that you can know how to give an answer to follow the bible music there's 500 verses in the bible about music it's not a small subject 500 
and there's 168 just with the word sing, sang, song, sung. There's a lot in the Bible about the kind of music we're supposed to have. But you have to learn a little bit about it. Hold yeah. your own. The whole counsel of God, the music's part of the whole counsel of God. So I, I see a lot of times, and I have people ask me, like last week, Brother Stancil, you need to help me. I need to find a music guy, a music guy. Right. I need to have somebody because I, I can't teach my people. And I, every time, I mean, I taught Bible college. I had like a few hundred students a semester for song leading, and I taught them some simple, you know, fundamentals of music. And I said, look, you got to answer the questions when you're at church. You don't say, go see my music director. You have to answer to God for your people. And that has gone way by the wayside, and I strongly believe part of that right. is the devil not wanting. I mean, stupid punks know how to play rock music. They know music. Yeah. They know how to read it. They know chords and all that. But so many Christians, because the devil doesn't want them to know it, push them away. The devil uses music, which long subject. I don't mean to get off on it. but No, I wanted to ask you specifically on that. And, and so with churches that are changing, and, of course, they change because the people are changing, the pastor is changing, how much of that? is the music um, that they're listening to at home, the world's music or contemporary Christian stuff. How, how much of that is, and then bring it into the church, and then it seems to change the church, and now they're not the fundamental, they're not the soul winning, that's not the purpose of what they're doing anymore. It's not the compassion, it's not the reaching of people. And like you said, trying to be like everybody else, every pastor that that I know of would like to grow a church, would like to build and reach more people. So you see the church, wow, they got the band, they got the music, they got the lights, they're growing. We'll change to do that and grow. Do you see that? And how much How much do you think music is a part of that? Yes. When people are in the world, when they come to church, they don't want to hear the same kind of music they heard last night. Mm. They want to hear something different. And a lot of church people and pastors and leaders think we have to fudge over there to get closer to what they had to get them here. Not true. Right. They're seeking something different. What they had or what they have in the world is not fulfilling the needs and they're not happy. I mean, they may have a cheap thrill happy, yep. but they're not genuinely contented. So here some people, I think, backed up by the devil, um, started getting this idea 10, 12 years ago of having bridge songs. I hate it with a passion. And there are people, when I when I preached in Australia, the last time and the time before, I saw one auditorium set 5,000. It was part of Hillsong. I'm wow. deathly opposed to it. Wow. And I went back four or five years later, and the auditorium had been built twice, and it seated 25,000. And they had two services a day. All it was was a glorified rock band. That's yeah. what drew everybody in. It was not church. People were not getting genuinely saved. But... There were people that were writing bridge songs, and you can read their own writings. They write about, we're writing hymns. So all these people in these conservative churches, so they'll hear our music, and it's a bridge song because then wow. they'll see our writing, our author, and then they'll see something else we wrote, which bridges them right over to this pure Rocky stuff that we're doing. So can you imagine somebody who's not been trained, they're 16 yeah. years old or 25 years old, and the church has some song sung in the service. Then they go try to look up that group or look up that song. Oh, look, there's more stuff. Oh, this must be good too. Since And another one, the biggest things in the world is, this is so huge. I could talk about it for a half hour. <laughs> when I was in high school and college, I never knew anybody that had a different music standard from their home wow. and from the church. And now... I rarely know anybody 
that has the same standard. They have stuff they'll play in church. Well, I, I, I have pastors tell me that. I'm about to listen to this song. I like this giver. Uh, of course, I'd never use it in church. <laughs> and I just want to punch them in the face and say, well, if you wouldn't use it in church, why are you playing in your house? Why are you making me listen to it? Don't you understand that the people in your church, the people that follow you? And, and I've come to realize in the last five or six years, almost everybody has a different set of standards for what they listen to in their car wow. because they let me use their car. I get in the car <laughs> and the radio comes on. Or, or they drive with me and they turn on the car. Oh, let me turn that down real quick. You know, or I just see the stacks of CDs when they're popular. You know, It's just that is a huge thing. We should be the same Christian all day long. 24-7. We got these standards. We should have them all the time. Amen. I, I went in a pastor's house, reached up on the on the um, refrigerator, pulled off a couple things. They were old Motown, 50s, 60s. My brother said, oh, my brother, this is my music. This is my music. We, we just played this at home in the house. You know, uh, uh, me and mama, we played this. This is my music. And I'm like, are you crazy? Yeah. It's not your music. You don't get to decide. If you study the Bible just a little bit, the music is God's. He created it. It's his. And the devil corrupted it, Amen. Ezekiel 28 and so forth. He corrupted it, turned it, twisted it. That's what bad music is. It's good music that God made and somebody corrupts it. So how can you expect your people, if you're a pastor or your kids, if you're a parent, you know, oh, I listen to Elvis. That's that's my only weakness. What is that? <laughs> Do you know how the guy died? The throne dethroned on the yeah. toilet, got killed and fell over, broke his nose? I mean, that's not an idol. Uh, anyway, I don't mean to go on and on about it, but yeah. No, that's a big deal. And the story of Elvis, if people have never heard that, he just got done playing the piano and singing, I Did It My Way. Yep. Went to the bathroom, was reading a book about Jesus. I forget the title, but it's something about Jesus. Jesus Freaks. And, uh, and he had a... Uh, he had a heart attack and died and fell over on his face. Yep. Well, you think if you're sitting on the toilet and you fall over on your face, then there's something else that's sticking up in the air. And that's how De the king died. Yep. You know, And so um, it is amazing. And so many people, like you said, they don't think anything about it. When I surrendered to God, I had all these tapes of music in the world and, and albums. And I took them back to the burn barrel in the back of our house and I burned them. Because, well, I kept two of them because I just bought them and they were brand new. <laughs> and I didn't even hardly listen to them. I wasn't going to listen to them, but I just did. And the next day, like, no, if I keep them, I'm going to listen to them. So the next day, I burned the last You bring two. up a good point. At least once a year, I was somewhere where they had a bonfire and they burned all the devil's music. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I've been somewhere where they did that. Yeah. Yeah, it's biblical, but oh, but you're crazy if you do something like that, you know, um, and you're right. And sometimes we talked about this before, but uh, we're going to do a whole session on music. And I wanted to get into this now because I know in churches and talking about the, the fundamental Baptist movement, how many churches are changing because of the music and what it does. Um, and it's such a big deal. But I want to uh, do another podcast where we just talk about music, bring John Early on sure. and, um, and, and and explain that because so many people don't understand how powerful it is. Right. And how the devil uses that, and they say that's the first thing that, that Satan uses to be able to change a church, and and the, our morals are going to be that way, our doctrine is going to be that way. And you mentioned it; they write it, bridge songs to bring these people from independent Baptists over to them, and then now look at where they are. Right. And you know, as a guy I'm specifically thinking of, I went to college with him. You know him. Uh, we supported him. He started a church. It was so and so Baptist church, and then he started changing music. And the next thing you know, it's the Drive Church. And next thing you know, he's out of the ministry. 
totally and um, and totally secular. Nothing for God. How in the world does that happen? And so, to me, that scares me um, when yeah. you see that happen to people. I don't want to be like Paul said, a castaway. You know. Right. And so when I preach to others, I buffet my body. I don't want to be that castaway. I want I want to be able to meet Jesus and have Him say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." When He comes back, I want Him to find me so doing, right. doing what He told us to do when He left. So um, we're going to time just a couple more uh, questions there. So um, on that on that note. Um, what what is causing we sort of talked about but anything else that causes pastors and churches and Christians to change um, from people that used to be as you know straight right doctrine Bible everything and then now you look and go what happened so that that change from what you see what is causing them to change and in money wow my opinion. You can have some music played. You can have somebody help you, guide you with some music. But you have to learn a little bit about it so you can know what to do. Same thing with money. Mm. You have to learn a little bit about it, about what kind of debt not to go into. And there are so many pastors I know that built a big fancy building and went into massive debt. Mm. And if you talk to them for just a little while, you realize it's either because of a couple families or there was a wealthy businessman that I let him control things too much because he was a boss at work, had 100 people work right. for him, or and because I wanted to be as nice as the church down the road. Completely different standards and whatever. Right. And all their money's going into their building. They're sure. not supporting 50 missionaries around the world. So that mentality of I want to be like them, and then the money where you spend money you don't have. And I believe that God always blesses. I know so many churches that give their money and have, whether they do it faith promise or a percentage, Lee Robertson gave all of his Sunday night and Wednesday night offerings to missionaries. Mm. His whole time there after the first year or two, they supported hundreds and hundreds of missionaries wow. when he died. I think it was 900 when he died. Wow. And, and, and they ran the whole church. For years, it was the largest church in America. And they ran it with the Sunday morning offering. But when you use money to get the gospel out, and you are following God's great commission, right. supporting other missionaries besides yourself, then God blesses you in a different way. It's just a fact. I mean, I'm just it's an observation. I'm going to turn 60 in a couple months, and I've been to a lot of churches, and the observation is, if you're taking care of God's man, and if you're taking care of getting the gospel out, God takes care of you in miraculous ways. Amen. And that is big. It's amazing. You know, Song of Solomon, or Solomon said the... Uh, Money answers all things, and and it's amazing to see how big a deal that is. How many times has a church changed their Christian school, let people into the Christian school who had no business oh, in a Christian school because they had to pay the bills? That's why I said this. Yeah, and uh, and if you're if we're doing video and podcast, so if you couldn't see what he's doing uh, on the podcast, he's rubbing his fingers together, the symbol for money. Um, but um, they change that, or the same thing, change the church uh, because we don't want to lose this family, this family, this family, right. and it's all about finances. And uh, boy. That um, you wonder how much of it has to do with that. Um, last question that I have, and then I'll just leave it open. If anything you want to mention out there to help people, um, what's the answer? What what to fix? If there's a young pastor out there, or a pastor that's changing, or church members that are seeing things change, um, what's the answer? What what's going to fix these problems of of such a shift? Because when you look and see 
<laughs> if there's a counter in heaven of how many souls are being saved and how many people are, boy, at least in our country, I wonder what it's what it was doing in the 70s and 80s and 90s and what it's doing right now. And it just doesn't see the passion and compassion to be able to win people to Christ and to help disciple them and teach them how they can win people to Christ and to keep on going. So what fixes that? There's a church in Virginia south of Richmond that I've preached for several times through the last 25 years. They used to run 90-ish. They're in just such an area. There's no people around close to them and a couple of bad areas. So they've kind of dwindled down, even though they go out with the gospel, door hangers and knocking on doors every single week, hundreds of them. But they've gone down in attendance. But God blesses them, keeps their doors open. They see people saved, even if they don't come to that church because of where it is, whatever. They have a little 8.5 by 11 piece of white paper with simple typing on it up on the organ over here. You won't know it's there unless somebody tells you. It's the number of people that have been won to Christ by the missionaries they've supported. Hmm. And they never write anything down if somebody says we had several saved. If they say we had 12 teenagers saved at camp, they write the 12. Right. Anybody that says several or a few, they don't even write that down. They have over a million people on that piece of paper. Wow. Just during that pastor's tenure of 25, 28 years. That's amazing. So these small things, I love the gospel hymn a little as much when God is in it. It really is. It's yeah. a very true statement. Just like the little boys, five loaves and two fishes, right. small, little as much yet. Probably 20,000 people. They were all hungry. They were all griping to eat. So, you know, they ate a lot and had ate, ate all they wanted and still had 12 big baskets full. And I got an idea those are those big baskets for fishing where they're like mm. three or four feet tall. I mean, it was a lot, but little is much when God is in it. Right. And I've known many pastors that nobody knew and they were out in a holler in West Virginia or in the middle of Kansas somewhere. I drove to one church out there. I hit the radio driving a van and I hit seek <laughs> to get a radio station. Two hours later, I scared to death, almost ran off the road. <laughs> Two hours, that radio spun around looking for a station I could pick up. That guy's got nobody. He's not trying to impress anybody. So what does that lead me to this final thought? You can have a lot of fancy books, and there are many, mm -hmm. with all these new ideas and stuff. I got news for you. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So they're not new. But they say they're new to sell a book. As silly as it sounds, the best thing to do is walk with God. Hmm. Walk with God and be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God as in the fruit of the Spirit, which is one fruit. They're not several fruits. It's like right. an orange with the skin and the cells with the juice, all that. It's the fruit of the Spirit it combines love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You have that. If you just had that, the fruit of the Spirit would guide the whole church, guide all right. the training, guide everything, guide the music, guide the soul winning, guide the money you spend. But walking with the Lord and letting the Lord speak to you and through the Word of God, not just all your friends. I cannot tell you how many people I know that were contemporaries with mine or students of mine or places I preached and they got a hold of new stuff. Oh, Brother Stan, you see this book? You got to read this. It's got a lot. But but if I ask you, how, how long did you spend with just you and the Lord? And yeah. So I know it sounds oversimplified, but it's true and it's what I really oh, believe. Me. Walking with God, getting by yourself. And I think out of that, um, last question I've got for you, but... It spurred that out of the walk with God, then what happens to the preaching? 
if they're not in the Bible and they're not spending time with God. Because when God talks about the foolishness of preaching, and it is, I joke with our people. I said, "Look, you came here, you paid me to uh, to yell at you. You right. know, you paid me to uh, cry aloud, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins." And we laugh about it. But how God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. People who have already been trusted Christ, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but now their life to be salvaged. You picked up the can, it's saved, but now you take that can and recycle it so it can be used for God. And how much has the preaching changed where we don't we don't have that anymore. There's not the preaching to to do those things for God. Um, and it's more of a, well, the Bible says in the last days, people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they don't endure sound doctrine anymore. Right. How, how has that changed, do you see? Well, the, those Bible verses you refer to are still exactly true. And I'll answer it with this illustration. I've been to... A, a lot of missionaries' homes on the field overseas, around 240 for at least a day or a couple of days overnight wow. with the family. And I've been to a lot more than that in the States. There has been a mentality with people for several years, that guy's going to be a missionary because he can't make it in the States. It's sad. I don't agree with it. Wow. But I've heard that, seen it, watched it, especially before I was an evangelist. And people say that I, I had a pastor once that people loved this missionary. God spoke to people's hearts. They gave him a very good love offering. And the pastor said in my presence to me, well, he doesn't need that much money. I'm going to give him about uh, it was like the fifth of it or whatever. And he, he won't know. And I just, I wanted to run out of the room before lightning struck me. Wow. But that mentality of be a missionary because you can't make it here. You can't be a pastor, be assistant. But that's hooey. If I had the choice of calling somebody to pray for right. me with an urgent need, Absolutely. it would be one of the missionaries I met on the field, not yeah. most of the pastors I've right. been to. No offense, all you pastors. <laughs> I love all of you. But I'm saying yep. this is the reason I said all that. They have no choice. They have to have God. They have to have God answer their prayers. Right. They have to have miracles every day to stay alive, to be fed, et cetera, et cetera. They have to walk with God, so they do. And whatever the increase is, some of them have hundreds and thousands of people saved. I was with people in Portugal a few years ago. We didn't have anybody saved on the mission trip. I took Bibles. I taught a lot of stuff, young people, Bible college. We did not have anyone actually trust Christ on the trip. I, I took Bibles because, believe it or not, in Portugal, Western you know civilization, all that, European, they couldn't get Bibles because wow. the Catholics. So Catholic there. and um, But we didn't have anybody saved. But there's other places where there's a lot. Either way, it's walking with God, doing what God tells you to do, because the guiding verse is, but God give it the increase. Yeah. We're commanded to go. Right. Nobody, Nowhere in the Bible does it say, get this person saved or have this person saved. Sure. It's give the gospel, give Amen. the gospel. And so people that are doing that, uh, in my opinion, much less griping, hardly ever, if any, griping, more holy walking with God, more compassionate caring about people, mm. more content in whatsoever state I am, right. and all that. So that just proves to you when you don't have somebody else or you don't have a pastor's fellowship or whatever, you get what you need from walking with the Lord. Amen. 
That's great. Well, Cecil, love having you on here. Look forward to it again. Um, in closing, I just want to mention uh, something that Dr. Cecil talked about, how pastors need to know music, okay? Everybody needs to know music. Amen. I was blessed to be in choir in high school in a public school and sing choral music. I went back to look at the music I still have from my senior year, and eight out of the ten songs we sang at Allstate were scripture, King James scripture songs. Huh. It's amazing. Wow. In a public school. Wow. And so had that training, played piano a little bit, played guitar a little bit, but to be able to, it's just priceless to be able to know that so you know in church no yes no we're not right. doing that yes and why and why exactly and so um uh, love to recommend, I mentioned him, John Early, great friend of Brother Stansel, great friend of mine, uh, teaches a class at Independent Baptist Online College on the fundamentals of music. And so I would encourage everyone to take that, Amen. pastors, Amen. Their children, people in their church, to know what's right. If everybody knew what's right, then we can all walk circumspect in our home and in our churches and our schools to make sure it doesn't slip because how Satan uses music is powerful. So I would encourage you to go to ibaptistcollege.org and look up the fundamentals of music class by John Early. Amen. I encourage to take that. I think that'd be very helpful and powerful for everyone. So we will have Dr. Stansel on again, and I appreciate his friendship and Amen. what he did for me 33 years ago and being faithful to travel and preach. And uh, and um, I owe so much of my ministry and family to that decision that was made so many years ago. So thank you for your friendship and for uh, loving our family and being a good friend. We uh, uh, got to take a mission or a trip to Israel together, my wife and I, and uh, Brother Stansel a couple years ago, and boy, what a trip that was. And and super excited about all that God has for plan for future. So thank you for being here and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com.